Hi, I'm Bob O'Haver. Welcome to the Why Meditate podcast. I'm asking questions of teachers, scientists, and religious leaders. Thank you for your support. Let us know what you think by making sure you comment on whymeditatela.com, Facebook, or Twitter. Thanks again. Now on with our discussion. Hi, I'm with Diana Winston, Director of Mindfulness Education at UCLA. And we're just going to jump right into it with the first question, and it is, why meditate? Why not meditate? <laughs> uh, it's such a broad question, yes. but um, there's so many dimensions to it. You know, I think about all the scientific research showing why mindfulness is helpful and how it improves all sorts of things like physical health conditions and reduces blood pressure, reduces stress. I think about um, how it's helpful for anxiety and depression and all sorts of mental health concerns. Mm -hmm. And there's, you know, there's so many different studies these days that have been showing the benefits of mindfulness. So there's, as I said, the physical health, it impacts insomnia, it can impact cardiovascular disease, it can impact, um, you know, just a whole array of stress-related health conditions. And um, just around that, yeah. do they, do you, are you using the same mindful meditation that, uh, that you're teaching here, or are you using different types of meditations for different types of ailments or, you know, chronic well, pain or those kind of things, or working with different... It, uh, it kind of depends. So we're yeah. talking, we're talking, there's been like about three or 4,000 studies and right. they all do different things. The most popular thing that's been done probably is mindfulness-based stress reduction right. in the mindfulness world. So a lot of the symptoms that I mentioned, they've been, they've gone through an eight-week protocol with mindfulness-based um, mm -hmm. stress reduction. And, um, but they're, they're different protocols. So some, we've done research on MAPS, our six-week program, mm -hmm. um, We've done it related to insomnia, related to surviving breast cancer, related to, um, we're working on one right now with Alzheimer caregivers, seeing if it improves their, oh, wow. um, their ability to, you know, just quality of life and, and less right. stress and so forth. Sure. Um, so MAPS is research, but then there's a lot of other studies that just, you know, teach people a meditation and then look at the results of that and put them on a certain task and to see what mm -hmm. even like one hour of meditation can do. I mean, there's a whole range of ways. Really? Just just saying, okay, meditate for one hour, you've never meditated before, and now you're better at yeah, this? Yeah, maybe that's not exactly what's happening, but it's I've seen things like where they... But over a period of time. Yeah, they might give someone a task to do, like they might measure social anxiety and then teach them like 10 minutes of loving-kindness meditation and then see the results of that mm -hmm. and whether it actually decreases social anxiety. So, there, so sometimes it's just taught in little bite-sized pieces. Sure. There's a lot of, I mean, there's a whole range of the way so mindfulness kind of figuring is out how to study it. Yeah, along yeah, yeah. With, along with going, along with teaching. And um, so there's there's so so there's lots of different areas which our mental and physical health can be improved through mm -hmm. mindfulness practice. And and also just to say that mindfulness is not the same as meditation. Mindfulness is a type of meditation. Maybe this is a later question, but mm, but okay. um, meditation is a big category. Like sports is a big category, mm -hmm. and there's hundreds of sports, and there's many many types of, of of meditation. And so mindfulness is the one that I'm. That's my expertise, and so. I'm very familiar with the research, but if you go over to the transcendental meditation world, they'll tell you all about their research. So, right, of course. So it just depends. But um, 
Also, you know, a lot of research has been done around attention, impacting attention. So at UCLA, we, when I was first hired here, like 12, 15 years ago, we were doing a study on adolescents and adults with ADHD. Mm-hmm. And we saw that doing going through an eight-week program that we designed specifically for them um, improved their their ability to pay attention. And I mean, so much so that the scientists were saying, well, what kind of medication did you put them on? And we said, no, it was meditation, not medication. <laughs> but right. So attention is improved. Mm-hmm. And then there's even a lot of research looking at the people's brains and how it impacts brain structure. So there was someone at UCLA researching long-term meditators and found that they had more cortical folds than people of the same age range. Mm -hmm. And um, that's pretty interesting. So if you meditate, your brain has more... um, more, Kind of exercise for the brain. Yeah, yeah. Right. You can think of it as an exercise for the brain. And and some of the early studies that were first done looking at long-term meditators, like monks who've been in the caves for 30 years or something, found that they had... um, thicker brain thicker certain areas of the brain than people of the same age range so like um the two areas in the original study that was done out of harvard in like i think 2005 found that long-term meditators this were you know you know who i'm talking about who they were looking at um they like the olympic athletes of meditation (laughs) um their prefrontal cortex and insula cortex were thicker than people of the same age range prefrontal cortex is you know what we think of as the ceo of our brain executive functioning delayed gratification working memory impulse control so, thing that develops last when you're growing up. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Right. So it's the it was thicker than people who of the same age range that they compared it to. Mm-hmm. So I'm answering on a kind of I'm answering sort of like from a clinical perspective, uh, yeah. like why why meditate? Um, and I wanted to start with that, but I, then I kind of wanted to dig a little deeper into my own personal experience and why like why I meditate mm-hmm. and also having worked with you know thousands of students now what I see has been beneficial so that was where I wanted to start when I think about like why meditate it's it's probably for me been the most important thing I've ever done in my life mm-hmm. you know just finding meditation I was really lucky because I got into it when I was in my early 20s and I think you know at that age we're still developing right sure. the brain's not fully sure, developed sure. and I was, it really um, spoke to me in such a profound way. And I remember like having this insight into like, wow, I can understand my mind by simply paying attention to it, you know, and out of that sent me on a long journey of um, mindfulness practice and, Mm -hmm. you know, living in monasteries and doing long retreats and so forth. But mostly I was meditating at that time because it was so incredibly interesting like getting to know this mind and what it does and seeing the mm-hmm. habits and the patterns and all of the things like, wow. And then that there could be relief from those mm-hmm. habits and patterns. Like that was the really exciting part that I could not in the beginning, but ultimately begin to quiet my mind and have these places of ease and equanimity and then the resulting joy and compassion and connection, you know, so for me, mindfulness, well, mindfulness and meditation are synonymous mm-hmm. for me although I do have done other meditations in my life but um but for me it's like a deep dive into myself and it's profound and sometimes surprising and beautiful and sometimes scary and weird and you know our minds are of these course. amazing things yeah. so I think that the biggest gift over the years of having done now about 30 years of meditating is that 
I, I under, I, I'll never fully understand my mind, but I have all sorts of tools and, excuse me, tools and skills to deal with whatever is arising. So whether anxiety arises over my daughter or, mm. you know, um, loss or grief or, you know, I'm like, I have so many skills. I always have this place of kind of a refuge inside me that never goes away, you know, and even when I get flustered and, you know, mm-hmm. crazy about this and that, because of my meditation practice, there's always a place to return to. And that's, that's you know, the greatest gift I could. What is your definition of mindfulness and what is your... What is your vision of a mindful life? I have a definition that I've been using for some time, <laughs> which course. you probably know, yeah. which is paying attention to our present moment experiences with openness and curiosity mm-hmm. and a willingness to be with what is. So it's so for me, mindfulness is, well, the word mindfulness is actually broad. That's sort of right. the technical definition and that the definition that involves the, the placement of attention, like mm-hmm. the training of attention all into the present moment, bringing it back again and again to the present moment with certain qualities, capacity to be with. So there are some definitions of mindfulness that are popular that use the non-judgmental awareness. And I'm not crazy about that because I've found that when students start meditating they often find their mind is filled with judgments and then Mm -hmm. if they hear they're supposed to be non-judgmental to be mindful then they think they're doing something wrong so I've kind of replaced it in my definition with willingness to be with what is Um, step back and one more time on that because I didn't quite catch the beginning of uh, what is uh, mindfulness as it relates to to judgment right so so there's a quality inherent in mindfulness that that's about that's that we can use lots of words. We can use mm-hmm. acceptance, non-judgmentalness, equanimity. I use willingness to be with what is. So mm-hmm. it's so it's not merely paying attention, but it's also the attitude with which we pay attention. So we pay attention with a quality of kindness of willingness, of openness to the experience, of not being in resistance of life, with life, you mm-hmm. know. So you can be paying attention to something but be thinking, wishing you were doing something else, you know. Of and Many, many, many <laughs> times. we've all done. That happens. <laughs> so, but with mindfulness, it's much more um, open. And so, so the word non-judgmental, it can work for some people, but sure. I'm not, anyway, I'm not so crazy about it. But Well, and, and also just another definition, uh, the word judgment and um, is like the negative part of judgment, not, mm-hmm. and then the positive part you refer to that as discernment, right, correct? Right, right. I, I just because that was confusing to me in the beginning. Here, yeah, that's a good the point. way you talked about those things. Important part of mindfulness. It's helping us to make decisions that lead to more and more happiness and less mm-hmm. and less suffering. Of course, right. So when we say without judgment, it could imply the non-discernment piece, and we don't want that. We want people to make, you know, ethical wholesome, healthy decisions or choices in life. That's kind of how I define mindfulness. There's different ways of being mindful. We can be mindful um, in a very focused way, like a telephoto lens on a camera where we're really just paying Mm -hmm. attention to our breathing, breath after breath. We can be mindful in a very wide open way where we're noticing everything around us and that both of them are mindfulness. So there's more spacious awareness. There's more focused mindfulness. There's all sorts of ways in which we can be mindful and we can bring mindfulness to whatever we're doing, as of course you know. But mm-hmm. um, for me, mindfulness is 
I mean, there's that specific definition, and then there's kind of living a quality of mindfulness in life, which I think was sort of the second part of of your question. A mindful life is interesting because there's a way, and we teach this quite a bit here at the Mindful Awareness Research Center. We you can bring mindfulness into daily activities. That we can that mindfulness is not just meant for your 15 minutes or 30 minutes when you're sitting on your meditation cushion, right, right or chair. We we sit in chairs a lot here at UCLA. We do. Yeah. We do, and I took a little bit of getting used to. But right. Uh, well, you're welcome to sit in your chair. Yeah, I, know, I know. I know. <laughs> I mean, in the cushion. Well. But um, but. So, so we can think that mindfulness is just during this protected time period. But what we teach, of course, is that we can bring it into all of life. So we can mm-hmm. bring it into, you know, when you're walking down the street. We, Of course, we teach walking meditation. So that teaches you how to integrate that. It's not necessarily when you're doing walking down the street. You're not walking like a zombie very no. slowly. You're just being normal. You're just right. You're being normal. And being aware. Noticing your body, yeah. noticing your body sensations, your feet on the ground, the touch, the movement. Right. Um, we can do it even more informally than that when you're washing dishes or when you're taking a shower or when you're, we teach a lot of relational mindfulness practices. So mm-hmm. as you also know, that we do a lot where we learn how to speak and listen mindfully. And that's an incredible place to practice mindfulness and, and also a really interesting place because you're right there with another person. Mm-hmm. Can we teach ourselves selves to show up in that way? So mindfulness, so one way of thinking about the mindful life is how we just bring mindfulness off the cushion or chair into life. Mm-hmm. You know, like a new thing that's been happening for me because I got a dog recently. <laughs> I used to get up and meditate, but right. now... Um, get up and take care of the dog. I have to get up and take the dog for a walk. <laughs> right. who, the second he recognizes I'm awake, he's... <laughs> you know, so, um, so I just turned the walk into a kind of casual dog walking meditation you know and initially the first part is a lot of me kind of thinking and following him because he's trying to do his business but there's a point where my mind lets go and just kind of rests in a place of more awareness and there's more like a flow where he's with me and we're just kind of walking gently and there's a there's like oh I'm getting my morning meditation in even though um it's a little bit more informal so there's so there's ways of incorporating into life and then but the like the question of mindful life is an interesting question to me because I think it also implies it, it doesn't mean that I guess what I was wanting to say is it doesn't mean that we have to be mindful every second of mm-hmm. our day to live a mindful life. That would be number one unrealistic and number two not a lot of fun, you know. <laughs> I have to be mindful every single second like right. there's but a mindful life to me is a life that's about the values of mindfulness. So a life that's about integrity, that's a, that's an ethical life, mm-hmm. a life that's about compassion, care, connection, a, la- a life that's about awareness and self-reflection and growth, interpersonal growth. Those are all things that make up a mindful life. Right. And I would say, like for myself, I hope I lead a mindful life. I try. And some of it's that very deliberate, like, okay, I'm walking the dog, I'm practicing of mindfulness. Course. But a lot of it is like the approach that I'm taking. That even when I do yell out my kid, what yesterday, she like she had turned the thermostat up to seventy eight, and I went, I went, Mira, why did you do this? You know, and I just and and then my luckily grandma was there, and she's like, I don't think she knew that she wasn't supposed to do that. And then of course I took a breath and I calmed down, and I realized that I had 
made a, you know, I, I had right. done something unnecessary and I could just be there in kindness with her once I could let go of my story about, oh, that, I can't believe that kid turned the heater up to 70 <laughs> degrees. What is she doing? So, so it's really about leaving, living a life of attunement and awareness and connection. And, and those are the things that, that to me make up a mindful life. And, mm. it, you know, it would be unrealistic to be like, I said that, to have always being mindful every second. And also it, it that carries with it a kind of like self-judgment quality that I'm right, not that interested sound, in. It sounds like, like, yeah. You know, like you have to be mindful and there's something wrong if you're not mindful. And sometimes life is just like we're hanging out with our friends and we're having a good time or we're right. petting the dog and we're not being deliberately mindful. But it's like it's like the larger intention that guides our vision for who we want to be in the world. It's when I'm like when there's like oh, awareness is present. Wow, I'm so connected to awareness or I'm mm-hmm. so mindful as I as I, you know, I'm washing the dishes today and sometimes I'm not, you know, well, but it's the, it's the kind of the larger container and the spirit of, 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 you know, of goodness really that permeates mm-hmm. a life that is dedicated to mindfulness. So that's what I'm interested in when I think about mindful life. Right. The next question mm-hmm. is, what is your definition, what is the difference between, and the definition I suppose, uh, between meditation contemplation and prayer so i was saying earlier that meditation is a big category mm-hmm. um and there's lots of different types underneath it and then i would probably say that contemplation and prayer were types of meditation but you could also maybe argue that contemplation is the bigger category and meditation is under it and they also come from different traditions right. so contemplative well, there's contemplative prayer, right? And then there's mm-hmm. um, that is often associated with Christianity. And I know that in some secular circles, we've been using the word contemplation to get out of using the word meditation. But I think mm. contemplation is more, I don't know. I don't see. I'm a little biased because I think of um, I think of meditation. I mean, I, I'm so kind of mindfulness focus that mm-hmm. when I think about meditation my mind goes there but I know right. there's so like when we do the loving kindness meditations which are meditations that cultivate different states of mm-hmm. of heart and mind that's different than mindfulness right. or when we do a visualization meditation and then you could say there's a contemplation meditation where you you know reflect on a particular topic and our mind contemplates that topic but that mm-hmm. not, may not be how other people talk about it they may yeah, of course use it as an umbrella term that's more how i see it how you see it, it as it, well it's those things yeah um and to me prayer again i associate more in religious traditions mm-hmm. and i think of prayer as either you know an asking for or a listening you know i mean i love the most beautiful um definitions of prayer i hear are the ones that are about like about listening, you know, that's not about like, I want to get, I'm going to pray for my, you know, a new right. car or something, right, right. <laughs> but, but the ones that are connected to gratitude and, and listening to a deeper wisdom, whether it's someone's conception of God or an inner knowing to me, that's different than a mindfulness practice, which is really about, um, as we know, you know, this cultivation of awareness of a moment to moment awareness. But right. I will say that in my meditation practice of many years of mindfulness, I've used all different types, all the ones that I mentioned that you're not even mentioning. Sure. Um, and sometimes there, I might have a prayer offering in my meditation in the morning, or I might sometimes, mm. a lot of times people will say, 
that like they hear loving kindness meditation and they say, oh, I've been doing that with praying. You know, so right. I've had a lot of people over the years say it feels very close to prayer. So I think that there's, when I've tried to define meditation, I don't know if it's the best definition. I'll often say it's, it's, um, it's methods of inward investigation. And I feel like contemplation is also a method of inward investigation and prayer can be too. Prayer to me connects a little bit to an, more an external source. Right, right, right. Um, whereas contemplation, we can contemplate our lives, we can contemplate, we can take a topic. Like um, when I studied Tibetan Buddhism, you would take a topic and you would just contemplate it. So you would think mm-hmm. about death and you would think about yeah. death is uncertain and the time of death is uncertain. I mean, death is certain. Sorry, not uncertain. Death, <laughs> death is Definitely going to die. The time of death is uncertain. Right. The, um, you know, and you would contemplate that, and you would sit there for hours thinking about death, and that was an incredibly powerful meditation. Mm-hmm. Very different than what we do with the mindfulness practice. So, <laughs> be a little yeah. depressing if we did that. If we yeah, spent our whole time, spent doing the whole that. time thinking yeah. about death. Yeah. How do we? How do you see us being able to promote compassion in ourselves, and then? Well, first, I want to link it directly to meditation, um, and to say that, and, and to answer the first part of the question, it's. I think that these practices, of mindfulness practice, let's just mm-hmm. say, is directly linked to compassion in a number of ways. Partially, it's going back to what we were talking about—that willingness to be with what is. That willingness to be with what is is no small matter. That means that you are sitting there with whatever is happening. And it could be something like a fly landing on you mm-hmm. and you're willing to be with it. But it could also be the depth of your despair and you know loss and grief and anger and rage and anxiety. So as you sit with that, you're, you're oh, some people define mindfulness as a kind attention. I think that's a, a lovely but sort of incomplete, but mm-hmm. you are bringing kind attention to your experience. So if you're sitting there meditating and you're saying, get back to the breath now, <laughs> that's not a kind attention. Right. If you're having a feeling arise and you're saying, I shouldn't be having this or something wrong, that's also not a kind attention. And that's not how you cultivate it in mindfulness. So what instead you're doing is this loving, allowing, letting be, being with, being mm-hmm. with ourselves. And that in itself is a cultivation of, of, of kindness and compassion for ourselves. And the more we can cultivate it for ourselves, the more there's energy to, to, have, to have compassion outwards. Mm-hmm. So that's the first way that m- compassion is cultivated. And the second way is... One of the things that happens in mindfulness practice is that quality that we often talk about at UCLA of disidentification, mm-hmm. right? That there's a sense of me, 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 me. Oh, no, I really want my kid to be like this, and they have to be like this, and I'm going to die if they're not like this. Okay, I'm going to let it go. I'm going to just see it as a thought. Wow, I want, I'm wanting that so much. And then we disidentify from the thought or the emotion. Mm-hmm. And what that does is it begins to, over time, as we're constantly letting go over and over in our meditation practice and that skill transfers into daily life as we're constantly doing that that we we start to break down this like kind of reified sense of me 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 right the self-centeredness mm-hmm. that many of us kind of live by 
And in that space of it less being about me, there's more opportunity for love and compassion and kindness to arise. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's like, what's in the way of being loving? It's me, me, me. It's mm-hmm. I'm so important. I need it to be my way. I mean, I know when I'm that way with my daughter, you have to be, you have to be a certain way. I'm not seeing her for who she is. And the mm-hmm. love is kind of blocked, you know what I mean? And then when I can let go and I'm like, oh, she's just, she's that way. She's different than I am. There's much more of a connection and empathy and compassion. So, so that's, that's the second way these practices cultivate compassion. And then the third is that we, as you know, we deliberately cultivate them doing cultivation practices. Like sure. we can practice compassion. We can practice loving kindness. So... So those, so that's how we kind of work on our internal. Um, and, and I will say this, I don't, I know there's a kind of mysterious quality to it. Like I would say that most people, I, most of the students I've had and the colleagues and friends that I've had, most people just kind of mysteriously and automatically become more compassionate when they practice mindfulness over time it's it's kind of beautiful it just happens and I mm. really trust that process without exactly knowing why there are people I, I will say I've met people who that's not the case but they usually were stuck in some other way when anyway but mm-hmm. um so then the question you asked was about how do we then bring it out into the world? So say more about that question. What was right? That? It's just how does how do we promote it in in the world around us? Mm-hmm. I think uh, there's something very profound about how inner change impacts outer change, and that the more we transform, the more that begins to transform our relationships and our communities mm-hmm. and our jobs and our institutions that we're part of. So there's a very kind of very slow but real transformation that happens as people practice and as there's more compassion we become more available to others we begin to become want to work for institutions that that and and help create that within our institutions Mm -hmm. you know so I think so I kind of jokingly like call the work that I do at UCLA cognitive justice work because it's like we're really transforming minds you know Mm -hmm. um Maybe we should call it like cardio-cognitive justice, but change, change, transforming hearts and minds, right? right. Um, and it's and and like I said, it's not the kind of fast change of activism. Although we teach mindfulness to activists, and that can be really supportive to mm-hmm. their work, but it's more the slow change of actually like transforming human beings and developing more compassion, which then goes out into the world. Now that's that so that to me is like the bottom line and then there's other things that are more explicit that we can do as practitioners that promote compassion and that means maybe people do compassionate acts or you get involved in organizations mm-hmm. or you you I mean the um there's so many amazing stories I mean I know people who have gone to like uh, a colleague of mine went to Burma and saw the plight of what was happening with the Rohingyas, and he just started an organization mm-hmm. to raise money for that, and that was like like a very compassionate response that came out of his practice and his exposure. So, so I think there are many ways we can promote it. But I, right. I, I, I guess lastly, I will say, kind of going back to what you said before about we need kindness so much right now. Like mm-hmm. I've never ever seen 
I've never. never what's going on <laughs> yeah. in this con- this country in this world? I've never seen such um, such a kind of what is the word I'm looking for? But it, it, it's like a deification of meanness, you know. And it's like a it's not exactly what I want to say, but you know what I'm getting at. It, it it's a glorification. Yes, that's the word, right? A gl- like like it's, it's not even a lack of civility. It's way beyond. It's that. way beyond that. It's yeah. a, it's a it's it's an encouragement to do the opposite of kindness. And so I think when you ask that question of how do we promote, um, promote kindness, I think more than ever right now, we need to be somehow, I don't know exactly, maybe your listeners or you can figure this out, but doing what you're doing, promoting kindness out into the world, um, and re- the regaining civility and regaining um, ethics and regaining uh, a basis of love. And that mm-hmm. is really hard right now in these times. But a lot of deep breaths. It. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Thank you very much for the time. Okay. Hey, Thanks for listening today. And remember to leave a comment. Subscribe to the podcast on either Apple or Android. Search for why meditate now take a minute or two to take it in close your eyes and you can sit with what you just heard the music will continue for about three and a half minutes have a beautiful day